Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find a church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. My name's Chris Martinez, and I'm so happy you're here today at Lakeside Church. Uh, we're going into a new series um, that we're going to be going over in the summer, and it's called The Gospels, Jesus in 5D. And we're going to talk about what 5D means because my wife, when she looked at that, she was like, Chris, what the heck are you talking about in 5D? And I promise before you leave here, you'll get an understanding of why I put that and what I, what I meant by that. But I guess the idea is like, why the Gospels? Why are we wanting you to read the Gospels? Because we really do want you to fall in love with Jesus here in Lakeside Church. And, and, and I don't think it's going to be really possible for us as a church to fall in love with him if we don't know who he is. And so you have at your disposal, whether it's in your Bible or in your phone or on your computer or or wherever you can access it, I know you probably have multiple cos- copies of the Gospels. Um, and I want you to read them and I want you to know who Jesus is and fall in love with him because he's awesome and he's the real deal. And so I challenge you over the summer if you've never read the Gospels, um, to read them. If you've read none of them, read one of them. If you've read one of them, read another one or or read them all. If you've read them multiple times, go through them again and allow Jesus to be real to you. Not just somebody on a page, but the living, risen Savior um, on the throne. That's our goal is that that you guys would um, fall in love with Jesus and Would you guys just join me in a prayer? Um, I'm just going to invite the Lord here. God, I believe that you are real. You are here. Um, It is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day, Lord. You're the good Father. You are good to us and merciful and kind. And we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you've revealed him to us through the Gospels and through your Spirit. We just invite you to speak now, God, that you would teach us something and reveal your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, let's just dig in. So what are the Gospels? I was talking with um, my barber and uh, getting a haircut. And, you know, this lady said she'd been, she'd been in church since she was little, singing in the choir. Her mom was in the choir and, you know, always been a part of church and knew she needed to get back with God and, and all these things. And then, um, you know, I asked her a question. I said, well, what is the Gospel? Well, the gospel, if you go what Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's what pays for our sins. It's the fact that Jesus lived here, and he died for us, and that he rose again on the third day. And because of that, you know, we are forgiven. We have access into the presence of God. And God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But when we say, what are the gospels, that's a little bit different. And so um, uh, on your notes, you can fill this in, and it's on the screen. Um, the Gospels are historical records of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They kind of flesh out what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. So, you know, the Gospel in a nutshell is what I said, life, death, and resurrection. Well, the Gospels are kind of like the whole story. And there's four of them. There's, there's four different accounts, and that's, that's what I love about God. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. My barber, I said, well, well, do you know what the Gospels are? I came with a follow-up, and she said, um, that's like James and Peter and all that stuff. And I said, well, 
I said, it's close. You know, I wasn't getting on her, but it's, I said, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and it's amazing. You know, she'd been in church for years. She'd been in church. She'd been around it. She, she sung in the choir, and she didn't even know what these were. And these are things that God has given us to allow us to understand who Jesus is and be able to love him and know him and, and serve him. And, and, and I want you to think about this. I want you to know the real Jesus, not the Jesus of your own imagination. You know, sometimes we do that. We, we get a picture of who Jesus is, but it's not really who Jesus is. And so we create him in our own image, and that is wrong. That leads us into all kinds of error and all kinds of, of, of things that keep us from really God's will. But in the Gospels themselves, those four documents, we have a story, the stories about what Jesus did, about how he talked, about how he lived, how he spent his time. And it's good for us to get into them and to get some understanding about those things. And so we're going to look at them. And I'm going to try to break down all four of them here today. I know it's a lot, but, but I think we can get through it. And so we're actually going to start with Mark. Now you may say, hey, Chris, you messed up already because it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, from what we know historically, Mark was the first record, and it was drawn from Peter's experience um, as recorded by Mark. So you can write that in there. So Mark was, was most likely Peter's interpreter. So Peter, remember, he was a fisherman. Jesus called him the rock. Um, you probably don't call somebody the rock unless they're big and muscular. And, and I'm not saying he was, he was not dumb. That's not what I'm saying. But, but he was a man's man. He was not educated. He was you know, a business owner, strong, worked with his arms, pulling in those nets. I just picture him as a big guy. Jesus called him the rock. And he went out and he, he spoke the word to various areas um, around the world, really. He went to a lot of different places, and he had an interpreter, somebody that could take probably the Aramaic he was speaking and, and translate it into the Greek. And so Jesus' um, story is recorded in, in the book of Mark, but it's probably Peter's account. The history says that, that Mark knew the story so well from traveling around with Peter that, that he just wrote them down kind of from memory because he had said them so many times to so many different groups of people. And if we go to Mark 1.1, we see um, that Mark starts off his book, his story of Jesus. Remember, there's four stories told from four different viewpoints. And, um, and that's important because if I was to tell you the story about the, the birthday party I went to last night for my niece, you know, I could tell you one version of the events. I could go through and I, I could tell you the... Um, you know, what happened, I could tell you the fact that, you know, I couldn't find parking or, you know, and then I left and went home and took a nap and I came back for the end of my par the party. My son who was there, he could tell you another version of the events that he went and he played in the water and ate lots of cookies and my wife could tell you her version of events that she went and sat on the couch and probably fed my daughter, you know, and, and, and all those stories together would give like a whole picture of that party. And so we have four different accounts of what happened um, in Jesus' life, and we get to put them together, and then that gives us the, the explanation or some insight into what happened. But if you go to the um, Mark 1, 1, you see it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And I want you to pay attention to those words because I think the words are important. And that word gospel, that word gospel is an announcement of a king's victory 
with a promise of peace and deliverance. See, put yourself back in that culture. We didn't have, they didn't have cell phones and, and internet to get this constant barrage of news. News was slow to come by. They didn't even have like a postal service like, like we had in the 1800s. I mean, they would go with, with um, heralds, people that would go out and announce things. So picture if the king was fighting a battle and you're, you're waiting for word, but you're kind of just going through your own lives. And, and then eventually you get word that the king has won. You know, I remember uh, back back a couple years ago, um, I was in Walmart, you know, and, and all of a sudden my cell phone started beeping and I looked down the aisle and everybody's cell phone was like vibrating and it was just this weird thing where everybody was looking and we all grabbed our phones. It was like almost the same time. And and it was this news that um, Michael Jackson had died. Like, that that's what it was. And it was like everybody at the same time found out. Well, back then it wasn't that way. You would have somebody go and they would, um, you know, share the news individually. I mean, think about like after World War II, when the peace treaty was signed, the war was won. But there were still battles going on. People had to get radioed out. They had to tell all the submarines and, and all the boats and all the ships and all the different people in the towns. And But how good would that news be to know that, you know, your side won, that you had got the victory? And and that's what it is, is, is that God has given the victory. And that's the first point. So I, I want you to look at the history, but I want you to, to know this today, like, that word gospel shows us that God's victory is assured. And just so you can see kind of what Mark was doing, that title, Son of God, in, in, the, in the Hebrew culture, that tie into the idea of Messiahship, and, and it, was, it was a big word, it was important, there was some scriptural backing. But in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture, I mean, the Greek, um, Caesar was the Son of God. I mean, he was God's gift to this world to bring peace and here you have Mark starting it off this this book with with the record that Jesus is the son of God Jesus is the leader there's there's no politician there's no king there's no Caesar there's no president that is going to give you the victory the deliverance the peace that you need that's only found in Jesus Christ so if you're going through something today I want you to know that that Jesus has the victory it is assured and he won and he is in charge and, and he is God, and the victory is assured. The gospel, the announcement that the king has won. And so now we go into Matthew. Now Matthew, you can write this down in your notes, he was, it was written by the apostle Matthew. He was probably the most, one of the most educated disciples, if not the most. I mean, he was a tax collector, and it was for a Jewish audience. Now culture matters. Like who your audience is, like that matters. It's going to change kind of how you talk about things. For instance, I've been married to a beautiful Puerto Rican woman for 18 years, and I know something about Puerto Ricans, that it does not matter what is going on Christmas or Thanksgiving or New Year's or um, any other day, there's probably, probably going to be a pork. There's going to be some pork and there's going to be some rice and beans. Now, it's not all of them, but it's definitely the family I married into. Like, it happens. And so yesterday there was a baby shower my wife went to at 10 a.m. in the morning. And I knew there was going to be pork there because that's part of that culture and that and oh my gosh, it was good. She brought some home. I ate it. It was delicious. 
like it was my lunch, nobody else got any pork. But for some of you, you might be thinking, pork at 10 o'clock in the morning, that, that's, that sounds crazy. Maybe we're just going to have hors d'oeuvres or something. But, but your audience matters, and Matthew was written for a Jewish audience. And if you go to the first um, book, the first chapter of Matthew, um, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I want you to see that idea of Christ, David, Abraham. Those were all Jewish concepts. It meant something to them. Like the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would come and, and bring deliverance. Same thing as in Mark, but from a different um, perspective. And, and the idea that he was David. God had promised David that there would be one that sat on his throne. Somebody that would come from his line, that would sit on his throne and, and, and be a royal leader in Abraham. God promised Abraham um, that through Abraham's faith, the whole world would be blessed. All nations would be blessed through Abraham. But for Jews, that was important to connect it to the idea of Messiah and David and Abraham. And so I want you to know, God keeps the promises he made to the Jews, and he'll keep them to you. Like, he will keep his promises. God is a faithful God. And when you think about David and Abraham, like, those guys were not perfect. David killed somebody. Like, he took some man's wife, one of his soldiers, got her pregnant and tried to cover it up and had the guy killed. That's horrible. That's, like, not a good thing. But God's faithfulness did not depend on Christ's, or I'm sorry, on David's righteousness. It was on God's faithfulness. And so that point right there is God's faithfulness overcomes our imperfect faith. Even when you talk about um, Abraham, like the word said that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him for righteousness. Abraham was called the friend of God. He was the father of the Jewish nation. He was so high up, like he was honored. God honored his faith. But when you look at his faith, it wasn't perfect. Abraham walked into a city and he was so afraid they were going to kill him that he told his wife, he said, hey, honey, pretend you're my sister. Don't tell them you're my wife in case any of those guys think you're cute. You know, they'll, they, they won't kill me to get to you. He did that twice. He, he, God had promised him a son and he said, I'm so old. And he had, he had a baby with his wife's nursemaid. I mean, it was, he did not have perfect faith. But God's faithfulness overcomes our perfect faith. So you might be in the midst of something, and, and yeah, you know God's victory is assured, but your faith doesn't feel strong. And I want you to know it does not, yes, faith is important, but faith in God's faithfulness, like it is Him who will do it. So if you're not perfect, you're in good company. Like God honored His promises to those guys, and He'll honor His promise to you. He will keep you safe. He will do what he said he'd do and hold on because it doesn't depend on you having this perfect faith that never doubts and never wavers. It just depends on God's faithfulness. And I just think that's amazing. And, and this is stuff we're getting just out of the first couple verses in these chapters. Now we move on to Luke. Now Luke was written by the historian Luke, a friend of Paul, for a Gentile audience. Again, that's a different culture. Now Luke, we know he traveled around with Paul and he heard Paul share stories and he interviewed 
um, the first uh, believers, he interviewed probably the other disciples, he, he took all of the information that he was able to get and he, he compiled it. He wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts and he, and he wanted to write this down so that people could remember and thank God that he did. He wasn't a disciple but, but he knew them and, and he took it upon himself as he was led by God to, to make an account of these. And if you go to Luke chapter 1 it says, Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So he took eyewitness accounts and ministers of the word that were delivered to us. It seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was probably a wealthy Roman who requested that Luke would do this, maybe paid him some money, but said, hey, I want to know what's going on. I want to know the story. Tell me what it is. And Luke went out and he, he knew some people. He probably talked to them. And he said, he wrote this down that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so that's what he did. It was, um, you know, it was a faithful, faithful story that, that he had gotten from other people. Like he didn't just make this up. He went out and he interviewed people. And I want you to know this, like our faith is based, as you can write this down in your notes, is based on historical fact. Jesus lived on this planet. Like it is a fact Jesus was here. Like you can take, you can go from outside of the Gospels, not even using the Bible, and there's evidence in at least four places that Jesus was a real person, that he lived on this earth, and that he was crucified. Now where things, um, you know, where faith kicks in is, is the Christians believe he rose again. And even the outside writers, they say, well, that's what the Christians believe. And so we have to think, well, did they make this up? And I don't think they did, because how? Could, why would these guys die for a lie? I mean, especially it wasn't getting them anything. They were losing their property and going to jail and running, and they lost their businesses, and, and they were under so much turmoil. Why die for a lie? That doesn't make sense. And you think at least one of them would have given up. I mean, maybe one guy's crazy enough, but you think one of them. And then when they write their stories, the God, the, in the Gospels, you'll read this. The disciples are not heroes. Jesus is the hero. They're like not understanding things. They're making mistakes. They put in there how when Jesus was crucified, they all ran away. One of them even ran away naked, it says. Now, I've never been that scared. Never have I been that scared. Like, if I run away, I'm grabbing my shorts. There's no way I'm that scared to run away naked. But that's how scared and fearful these guys were. And they put it in there. And then they write about how the first people to give a report about Jesus being resurrected were women. Women weren't even allowed to testify in court. You wouldn't put that. If you were going to make this up, you wouldn't put that in there. That's like, you know, already killing your case. But it was a true story. It's what happened. And so God's timing is perfect. I want you to know that. That God's timing is perfect. That Jesus came at just the right time. The world was set up. There was finally enough peace. Rome had brought a level of peace where you could travel and you could trade and there was a common language. If you were gonna if you were gonna come and change the world and you wanted people to know about it, you try to come as early as possible. But you want to make sure it was safe enough to travel around and that it was easy to travel around and there were boats and there were roads and it was easy to get around the globe and there was enough peace that you could go and there was a common language. I mean, people spoke Greek. You could go to almost any part of the world and, and interact with people and speak Greek. It was a common language. They did business and 
and, and kind of like English is today. You can go to almost anywhere in the world and somebody will speak English because it's a, it's a language of business and that's, that's what was happening. And God's timing is perfect. Jesus stepped on the stage at the right time. And so I want you to know God's victory is assured, that his faithfulness is greater than our imperfect faith, and that his timing is perfect. If you think God's taking too long, you're wrong. His timing is going to be perfect, even if you don't understand. And we can see that, you know, God stepped into history in Jesus Christ, and he'll step into your problem. Whatever it is, he'll step into it, and Jesus will show up and do something great. Now we move on to the book of John. Now John was the last record, probably written long after the other ones. The other ones were pretty close to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. But John is the last record, and it was written by an apostle, and it complements the others. It's more theological. It's deep. I mean, it is a deep book. You get into John, and where you look at Mark, and Mark is like Peter the Rock wrote it. This happened, and Jesus said this, and then this happened, and this happened, and then this happened. It's like this story that's just rushing quickly, and then you get into John, and John's not like that. You know, there's things you read in John, and you're like, what? I don't understand it, but but I know it's true. And I mean, it resonates with your heart. It resonates with your spirit. And you got to chew on it. And you got to meditate on it. And it's just deep. I mean, look at the first verses in John as compared to the others. John starts off completely different. He says, in the beginning, this is John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, was not anything made that was made and the word became flesh and dwelt among them that's deep you could write this around the word was with God the word was God he became flesh he dwelt among us this idea of word the logos the the divine reason the fullness of the mind of God Jesus the word was with God and was God and became flesh. Now this may not be the best example, it may not be 100% theologically accurate, but, but you're trying to explain something that is so deep. It's the idea, um, to me, I thought of a lifeguard. I mean, I'm good at swimming, you know, we're, we're Cubans. Um, my family's Cuban, and so like every Cuban, you know, we gotta have at least 90 miles in us. You know, in case we get sent back, we gotta be able to swim back over here. Now I'm just, you know, all right, y'all know I'm just kidding. But, you know, I do swim. I grew up in Miami. I swam all the time. I'm comfortable in water. Um, you know, I ain't never going to drown. I just don't ever see myself as drowning unless I get hit unconscious. You know, if I can, I don't even need to see the edge. I just I know how to float. I know how to swim. But, you know, you, we do have the lifeguards. And I, we were at this place a couple weeks ago with my kids. And, and there was this little kid that she fell off, um, you know, I... Uh, this little thing and she fell into the water and the lifeguard at first he, he handed out like the little stick the little rope thing to try to give it to her but she couldn't do it she couldn't grab a hold of it and, and you know she was safe you know and you know he didn't wait too long but eventually the lifeguard just said you know what you're not getting it you're not getting the rope you're not getting the, the little stick thing let me let me jump in the water and he jumped in the water it was about waist deep and he grabbed the little girl and he brought her to the side and that's kind of what Jesus did. I mean, you had the law that came for us. We really couldn't get it. We couldn't grab on. We couldn't hold on to it. And so Jesus came himself, and he got down here on this earth with us, and he rescued us. He saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. 
the Word became flesh. So I want you to write down, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Like, that's what God does. That's what Jesus did. That's what the gospel's all about. He died so we can live. He, he was resurrected so that we wouldn't have to die. He did it. We couldn't do it. And that's what John, you read John, and it's deep, and there's so much richness in there. And God will just reveal things to you about Jesus. And we want you to read those Gospels because we want you to fall in love. And so those are four, four things you can do. And so the question is, so where's the fifth D? Like, what do you, why'd you say the fifth D, Chris? And I want to tell you why. And that's because the Holy Spirit. See, in John 14, 26, the Spirit, Jesus said, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. See, I believe the Holy Spirit was there when these men wrote the Bible, that he inspired them and he told them what to say and how to say it, and they, they each told it from their own vantage point to the particular audience, and we put them together. We get this four-dimensional image of Jesus, but I promise you, knowing that paper is not enough. You have to know Jesus by the Spirit. Jesus is real, and you can write this down. Jesus sent the Spirit to reveal himself to you. And so that's the fifth part. I believe the Bible was written under the inspiration of the Spirit, and it should be read under the inspiration of the Spirit, that when you sit down to read the Gospels, that you should say, God, speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. Because I believe this. I believe you can memorize everything about him and still not know him. Just like you could read everything about a celebrity online. You could follow them on Twitter, be friends with them on Facebook. But if you ever never met them, you never had a conversation with them, you wouldn't know him. And that's the same thing with Jesus. You can read all of his history, but you wouldn't know him. You could read everything about Michael Jackson, but none of y'all met him. You didn't know him. You could read everything about Abraham Lincoln, but you wouldn't know him because he could not be here. But Jesus is different. Not only can you read about him, but his spirit will reveal him to you. So I challenge you to press in the spirit. And, and if those, you can get those five sources, if you can know the gospels, the four of them, and have the spirit of God with you, like you'll grow. He'll reveal himself. You'll know him. You'll love him. You'll, you'll rejoice in, in his goodness and his mercy. And so that's my prayer for you today. And there's some of you people here I know you're feeling like, you know what, maybe you don't know Jesus like you should. God, he wants you to know him. Maybe you don't haven't talked to him in a while. Maybe you don't know him as anything more than a superstition or, or somebody you used to know. Maybe it's been a while since you've talked with him. Maybe it's been a while since you felt him near. That's not what God wants. God wants you to know him. The Spirit is here to reveal Jesus to you. The Gospels were written to show you who he is. And when you put those together, like it's powerful. Like I know God can touch you right now. See, the crazy thing is like even if you were like in another country where the Bible was outlawed and you could only get one page of the Bible that God could still meet you. He's not locked in the book. His spirit is free. He uses the book. Thank God for the Bible. There's nothing like it. It'll change your life. But the Holy Spirit is what changes your life. And he uses the words on those pages to transform your life. And, and sometimes he just speaks directly to you and will remind you of the things he said and make them real. And make it good. Would you bow your heads and pray with me now?